This is Gramercy, the podcast that highlights the stories of those who live and work on the margins of society. I'm your host, Cora Milad. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. Welcome to Season 3. This season, you will get the privilege of meeting the formerly incarcerated and those who mentor, employ, and restore hope into their lives. I am partnering with Defy Ventures to bring you this dynamic series that will teach us what the journey looks like for life after prison. It's not every day you get the chance to meet incredibly happy, optimistic, loving people in this world who actively live what they believe, but today is your lucky day. Sidi Bin came to the United States as a refugee at four years old. His Cambodian mother and Thai father lived in Cambodia during the reign of Pol Pot. They ended up fleeing to a refugee camp in Thailand where Sidi was born. After a short stint at another refugee camp in the Philippines, they were eventually sponsored and admitted into the United States. Sidi was introduced to gang life in sixth grade. He has some very enlightening things to share about the lies and brainwashing kids experience in this lifestyle. In his early 20s, he was sentenced to 40 years to life in prison for his gang-related activities. It wasn't until after a massive bout of depression and spiritual awakening while in prison that his realization of all the brainwashing he experienced eventually led to his disassociation with all things gang-related. Cities is a story that encompasses so many factors above and beyond our criminal justice system. Immigration status, growing up a refugee, the allure of protection and acceptance assured by the gang. And unfortunately... His story takes a very sad, unbelievable twist at the end. But that doesn't seem to affect his contagious joy. You will be amazed at the highs and lows this incredible man has endured throughout his life and yet remains this optimistic. Sidi, thank you so much for joining me on Gramercy. I am so excited to hear your story and I really appreciate you taking time to to share it today. Well, thank you for having me on the show, and I appreciate everything you are doing. And this is something that, that the people need need to hear hear our story. I that think. is the truth. Mm-hmm. I like to start off with a nice breaker, something pretty simple. You don't have to think about it. There's no math involved. Okay. Yeah. If we had a time machine, and you could go to anywhere in the world at any time in history. Where would you choose to go and why? I would have to say where I grew up at in Modesto when I was with my mom, dad, and you know, my brothers and sister growing up. We were at the park recycling cans. Really? Parents, yeah, yeah. My parents used to go out at like five in the morning recycling cans, you know, at the park. And at eleven years old, you know, they, they taught me how to drive in the parking lot. They're not supposed to, but I'm eleven. But so, so yeah, they had me behind the steering wheel of our van and they told me that whatever you do, don't step on the gas. Just let go of the brake and just move the steering wheel around the parking lot. Mm-hmm. So I, I just remember the feeling of it, the excitement, you know, the and just being with the family at the same time. So yes. Oh my goodness. So just back to uh, an earlier time when family encompassed you and you were in a happy place, huh? Yes, yes. Very happy place. I'd love to hear what your childhood was like. I'd love to, to find out about your parents and what birth order you're in, because that says a lot about somebody, believe it or not. And um, some of the, your most wonderful memories and some of the, the hard times that shaped you. Yes, ooh, I, I have a lot to share regarding all of that because uh, my background, I'm Cambodian. So, Are you? Uh, yes. Uh, so my parents, they're Cam- actually, my mom is Cambodian, my dad is Thai, you know. And um, however, though, you know, we grew up in Cambodia. My parents was living in Cambodia and had to escape the genocide from the Khmer Rouge, you know, from the regime that was led by Pol Pot. 
So when they were escaping the genocide, they came to a Cambodian refugee camp in Thailand in 1980, and that's where I was born. So I was born in Thailand on a Cambodian refugee camp. So Thailand doesn't recognize me because, you know, it's a Cambodian refugee camp. And at the moment, like, Cambodia, you know, like, well, of course, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely take you in, you know, like mm -hmm. one of our hours. Mm -hmm. so from there, that's when um, we, from there, we went to Philippines because I, I seen the documentation of well, you know how my parents, you know, got to the United States, went to Philippines to another re refugee camp. And then from there, that's when we were sponsored and then got sent to the United States to North Carolina. And I am the oldest out of, you know, out of the, the siblings. So it was me, then my brother was born in the Philippines, and then my sister was born in uh, North Carolina. Wow. In 1984. Yeah. How old were you when you moved to the States? Yeah, about four years old. Four. Yes. Wow. Have you seen the movie, The Killing Field? I it's have not. Movie. It's a very old movie and it's about uh, a reporter, a Cambodian reporter trying to, you know, like get amnesty and, uh, and come to the United States. It's based on a true story and he was held captive by the Khmer Rouge and then the way that they escaped and went through the mountains. It's amazing that when my parents was watching the movie with me and this is like, like in the, like the early 90s, when my parents watched the movie, they're like, that, that's exactly what we did. We were captured by them. We had to sneak out. We had to escape from them went through the same mountains. And it was amazing how like they recognized the mountains. Wow. I'm like, that is, that's crazy. So they actually shared their experience with you guys. It wasn't something they stayed quiet about? Yes, I, I read a lot of uh, books and documentations, you know, where like uh, some family uh, were, that came over, they're so traumatized by the event, they don't like to share it. However, <laughs> uh, I, my family, uh, my mom and dad shared it, especially my father when like, when he's, under, you know, like, you know, when he's drinking. Yes, mm -hmm. so he will share and, and you know, uh, speak about it. Yeah. So, wow, and, that's good. That's good. You know your history. Yes, yeah. And on a side note, uh, my mom and dad, before they met, they, they were in previous relationship before, so they had other children. So I have a bunch of older half-brothers and sister, and, and some of them whom I haven't met uh, because, you know, like, they were either killed in the, the, during the genocide time. And uh, there were some that live over there, whom like, um, like my dad is Thai, right? So I have like some Thai children. So I have some half brothers and sister whom are Thai that I can't speak to because I, 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 don't, I don't speak Thai and I don't even know or met them, you know? And so I was like, wow, okay. So do you speak either language? I spoke Cambodian and, and used, used to write it when I was a teenager. However, though, growing up, you know, surrounding myself with people of different uh, races and nationality mm -hmm. where English is the common language, so now my Cambodian is so broken. It's embarrassing. I was at the uh, uh, a little Phnom Penh in uh, Long Beach not too long ago, and I was uh, uh, some of the ladies they mistaken me for for being uh, African American. No way. Yeah. So I, was like, oh, I was like, oh, I'm Cambodian. They're like, oh, are you pure blood? I'm like, yeah, I, I, you know, I am. And, uh -huh. And it's embarrassing because I was trying to speak to them in Cambodian, but it was so broken <laughs> where they started looking at me like an in, imposter, in, in like this guy's not Cambodian. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh my goodness. Have you ever been back to Thailand or Cambodia? Nope, I've no. never been there and, and know nothing about the place. What was life like in, did you say North or South Carolina? Uh, North Carolina. And North I, Carolina. Yeah, I only have a, I only remember the traumatic part, you know? Mm. Yeah, one good part. Okay, like for example, I, I remember I was a kid. We lived in like, like a like an apartment place that almost looked like the Monopoly building, a big field uh, that 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 ends at a little river. But what I remember is that um there were some kittens. This is a sad part where there's some kittens got burned and 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 died. Like about like eight little kittens, you know, and all that. Oh. Yeah. So 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 I remember like the whole is the whole Cambodian community, right? So they did like like a tribute to it, and there was like some sad like Cambodian song going on. And it was like a sad moment, you know, like of, of you know the the, the kittens dying in the the, the fire. Mm -hmm. So I, I remember that part. Then I remember um, a moment too, where my mom made coffee, hot coffee, mm -hmm. in the kitchen, right, and. Uh, my brother and I, we were so excited about it where we ran to the table and I jumped on the table and the coffee spilled and it was so hot, it burned like my calf. 
Like literally, it took the skin off my calf where you could see like the, the the white meat. Yeah, and I was like in bed for like like many weeks, and I, yeah, so yeah, the happy moment was riding with my father to go pick my mom up at work. She, it seemed like she worked at a factory. It was like she worked like swing shift to graveyard, and I, I remember those moments where like going in the middle of the night and just looking at the like the night, yeah, the street lights, you know, and that was just like it just ooh and wow me, you know, seeing the street lights as a kid. Well, I'm surprised you have such clear memories from the age of four. That's pretty impressive. How old were you when you guys left North Carolina and moved to California? I don't remember, uh, but I want to say uh, I was about third grade, so I'm not sure like how old that is. Second and third grade, because when I got to, when I, when we arrived to Modesto, and the reason why we moved to Calif- Modesto, California was because all the relatives live out here. Okay. Yeah. So that's the reason. And I don't even know if we drove or ride, ride, you know, the airplane. But yeah, so that's why we came to Modesto and I was um, ending second grade and entering third grade. So was it a good experience since you had so many relatives around or was there a lot of xenophobia that, because you guys were immigrants or refugees or was there any discrimination that you can remember? Yes. Initially, it was a wonderful experience because we moved into a paradise apartment in Modesto, 620 Paradise Apartment. At that time, it was a Cambodian community. And you're talking about like easily like, like um, a small community of like, like a couple of hundred members in a nice. community. Where across the street is the Cambodian temple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that time was fun. I remember I was running around with kids, you know, like, uh, like about 50 of us playing tags, you know, so it was a, a, a tight-knit community. And then we moved. We moved to Southside Modesto and Paradise was on West Side Modesto. And in uh, South Side Modesto, it was um, a larger Hispanic community. Yeah, so we moved right there. And that's when I remember going to school. That's when uh, all the core issues I had growing up with, you know, from like, uh, you know, from, from insecurity, from just, you know, like uh, having low self-esteem started to take place because at school, that's when I started to make fun of, started to be bullied, especially mm. with my name. And, 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 and think about this. My name is City Ben, you know? There was a class clown, a smart class clown. He picked up on the quick like, City, oh, New York City, you know? And that was nothing, right? But then he was so clever that he said, oh, New York City, garbage bin. Mm. Oh, New York City, recycling bin. And, and then, you know, and he got some other clever name that's worse. And it just like, and he picked up in class. Mm-hmm. Picked up in class, so you know, and after school, yes, uh, my friends and I would definitely get you know bullied when trying to go home, and and it was some some terrifying moments, especially yeah, especially when we see like you know like the bigger kids, you know, like in the alley, like like seem like they're waiting. You know? Oh, so that that doesn't sit well on a, a kid's heart, like that just goes straight to the core of who you are and they're making fun of your name that's you that's who you are i did you ever ask your parents why did we move no i i did and in in fact um that was another issue i started having was that i started feeling neglected by my parents and and uh, abandoned because my parents were older so um and and they couldn't really speak english they tried to learn but it was hard for them to like you know adapt to it and take Mm -hmm. that on as a second language and so, uh, and my parents, because they're older, they were receiving uh, social security. And at the same time, they were receiving welfare from the state. So that was the source of income. So to supplement, you know, to have extra income to take care of the kids, they would, uh, and I didn't know this at the time, they would leave five in the morning to go to, you know, the parks uh, and um, different locations that would have, you know, a lot of, you know, beer cans and celebration or two cycle can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they were gone all day. And they would leave me with my brother and my baby sister. You know, most of the time they would take my baby sister when, well, you know, with them because you know I'm, I'm a kid myself. So mm-hmm. it'd be my, my brother and I would just you know stay home. And I, I was wondering like, like, man, no, what are they? You know, what's going on here? Yeah. So that happened for many, many, many years. And then you know, like about after about the end of sixth grade, that's when I started hanging out with the local gang members, and that's where you know I found acceptance. The end of sixth grade, and as local gang members, what are they? Were they all Cambodian? 
Where is it a mixed race? Because I'm hearing a lot of these similar stories. I found acceptance with this group of kids, it just happened to be a gang. You know, this is, it's all for belonging is what I'm learning. But I've also been learning that race is very important amongst gang members. So what was your experience with that? Yes, and it's true that, that race is important amongst gang members. Initially, it was predomin predominantly Cambodian. However, there were, uh, you know, like Hmong, Laos also, like the, the mm -hmm. from Southeast Asia. Yeah. yeah. So we were tight-knit. There, there weren't no clash of, you know, uh, tribals and all that. No, we were like very tight-knit. So I, I hang around with the, the local Asian gang. And what made it even kind of uh, worse into falling into that gang belief system was that it seems like part of our culture, especially for a kid like me, because everybody was like involved in some sort of, you know, like being in the, in the game, whether it's an older brother, an uncle, a cousin. Mm. So it seemed like part of the culture. I thought it was normal. I, I thought oh. we grow up and, and now I realized when I became an adult that we pick up the art of gang banging from the black culture that in Modesto. While in Southern California, you know, like uh, many of the Cambodians and the Asians picked it up from the Hispanics. Interesting. Yeah, wow. I noticed that, 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 and I can see it in the looks too, like some of the old photos that I've seen, you know, like like in Southern California, like all the the Cambodians or the Asians that started joining the gang, they had dressed like how a Hispanic gang member dressed. Wow. Yeah, while up north would dress like how, you know, the, the African-American gang member dressed. So it was interesting. And yeah, and, and I fell right into, you know, that, that culture that time. What an interesting connection that is. I had, I'd never thought about that. Were you lured by the acceptance or were you lured by the, the petty crimes at the time? What was the, the lure? Like you said, okay, so you said it was just the next step. It was just normal. That's just what people did. What did you think when about illegal activity? Was that just, that's just part of it? Or what, did you have like a, your conscience was kind of like saying, I don't know what I think about this. Yes, that's interesting because I had to reflect on that, right? Because initially I want to hang out with them because of, for the acceptance, you know, just to feel that void that I had from, you know, feeling neglected and abandoned from my parents and then being bullied at school. So I wanted two main things was the acceptance and also the protection at the same time. I, I wanted to be cool. And then I, However, though, I know that growing up, my parents taught me a lot of, you know, like, like uh, wonderful values, you know, like about, you know, like treating others kindly and don't steal from people, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal and all that. So, um, and I remember that when I joined the game, I know the type of activity that's involved. However, I told myself, I told myself that, that I just do everything but the illegal stuff, or anything that, that will harm others or anything that will, will you know, take away others. So I told myself, I'm just going to do the fun stuff and stay away from the negative stuff. How is amazing though. However, though, you know, the more that I hang around with them, the more that I wanted the acceptance, the more that, that I wanted to impress them, I slowly started to get involved to the peer pressure that, that was placed upon me by them. And then when I started giving in, and it, it started out small too, you know, like started giving in to like stealing a basketball from somebody's front yard. You know, from mm. that stealing a bicycle. Initially, I would feel guilty about it, right? But then after that, when I, when I achieved that, then also I get the praise and I feel good. And at the same time, I came up on, you know, a, a possession, you know, that, is, that now belongs to me that I took from someone. And then all of a sudden, it, it got worse where I started breaking into cars. Mm -hmm. Started breaking into cars for the car stereo. Uh, started breaking into people's backyard to steal their fighting rooster. You know, and, and then shoplifting. They got worse and worse to breaking into homes, started doing home burglary. And oh, like, wow. And did you ever get caught as a, a youth offender or anything? Or yes. did I bet you kept, it sounds like any of the negative feelings that were associated with the burglaries were replaced by the positive feelings, the high you got from the gang members saying way to go city you know you're doing awesome so it just s slowly eroded your conscience is what it sounds like yes 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 so, so slowly i started becoming insensitive to the to the community around me and, and, and it's, it's amazing how like like when i started 
you know, when I began joining the gang, right, I remember one of the things that, that was taught amongst, it, we were, there was, I call it brainwashing. You know, we were brainwashed with so many lies, you know? Mm. Like, oh, like, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, our gang is number one. Our gang is mo the, the most powerful when it's not, you know? And then, and, and one of the, the things that I was taught to was like, uh, do not take anything from your neighborhood or community. However, that went out the window as soon as, you know, like, like you started becoming selfish and just, you know, like looking for wow. like, some trouble to make. I remember that the more that, that I, uh, you could say like, like achieve, you know, in, in doing these illegal activities and getting the praises from them, I started to increase my, my illegal activity. So mm -hmm. now I don't need them to peer pressure me anymore. It's the opposite now. Now I want to go out and you know do those things and try to lead others to do the same because of the recognition of that, because of you know like all the you know like attaboys and and it's like yeah. oh okay, yeah let, let's do this you know yeah. so all of a sudden from uh, someone who's being peer pressure now I become the one that's starting peer pressure them. Uh huh. Yeah. Like, Did uh, your parents have any idea? No. No. Uh, until I um. Slowly though, I knew that, that, that they knew I started hanging out with the wrong crowd because of, you know, like, like I started changing the way I dress. I started to, you know, like have my pants hang low, started to say, and my parents did not like that at all. I had lived a double lifestyle for like about a few years before they caught on to that. Yeah, so like the, the end of sixth grade. Uh, so when I was going into seventh grade, in front of my parents, my pants be up to my waist. But as soon as like they turn the corner, that's it, I'm putting my pants down. And, I remember there were times I was practicing in front of a mirror. It's like, okay, I'm gonna have to sag, like lower my pants like three inches below my waist. No, four inches is perfect, Mark. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's <laughs> How do you walk like that? That's yeah. my thing. I can't imagine. You do have to practice that. <laughs> yes, yeah, you have to practice like like trying to walk cool, be a gangster and have yeah. that swag. Yeah. And, and for me, uh, uh, side story, a uh, funny story, uh, and I'm colorblind. Really? Yeah. yeah so, so I have a, it's called a red and green deficiency. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, that means that red and green look the same, blue and purple look the same, you know? So certain colors look the same. I remember uh, in seventh grade, winter time, I went to the store and bought a royal blue sweater. So the whole winter time, I'm, uh, to me, I'm rocking a royal blue sweater, right? The people making this comment, like, like Barney com comments. I'm like Barney, Barney the dinosaur. I'm like, okay, I don't get it. Oh, Come out the whole winter, I was wearing a purple sweater. <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, so I was like, I made it work, but still, though, like I thought it was a royal blue sweater. That's it was so a funny. Sweater the whole time. Oh yeah. my goodness, that is really funny, actually. <laughs> yeah, so my, my parents picked up on it though that you know, like I was uh, involved with gangs. They keep telling me to stay away from them, stay away from them. It's hard for them to stay away from some of them is your own family members, some mm -hmm. your cousins, you know. Did you try to keep your younger siblings out of it? No, it was the opposite. I was a promoter. I actually, like, I, I call it uh, advancing the kingdom of darkness. Uh, oh, no. I was, I, I was, like, advertising, like, how cool gangbanging was and try to get, you know, everyone into the gang that I was involved with. So, uh, like, my brother, because I seen it happen uh, from experience. I seen it happen how older brother say, said to the younger siblings, you better not join the gang and all that, this and that, you know, uh, and then all of a sudden, guess what happened? The younger brothers join a different gang. And then as, you know, years go on, they become, uh, the gangs become rivals and now they have issues with their own, you know, blood brother, you know? Oh no. So to prevent that, I made sure that like, all my family members joined the same gang that I was in. So I was a big time promoter of it. It was awful, uh, you know, and, and I, I was so, uh, corrupt to the core where I was, you know, like, like having, you know, like little kids be initiated, initiated into the gang that I was with so that when they hit that age to be able to join, like they know that their allegiance is with the gang that, you know, I'm in. Sitting here talking to you and looking at your just constant radiant smile. I cannot imagine that person. Honestly, you have done nothing but smile the whole time you talk. I love it. Those people who smile as they talk. I'm not good at that, but I, I appreciate it in others. So you're blowing my mind with everything you're saying. It sounds like you're talking about a whole different person. Yes. Yeah. 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 It was a full transformation when I entered prison. 
So, uh, yeah, I, I had a, a spiritual awakening where, you know, I, I turned my life over to God when I, I went to prison. Because mm-hmm. when I was growing up, you know, part of our culture is, you know, Buddhism. Mm-hmm. So I, I was heavily involved. You know, I grew up as a Buddhist, spent summer in the Cambodian temple. You know, yeah. So uh, really? at the age of 24, when I was incarcerated for, you know, the crime that I committed, I read a Christian prayer book where, uh, where the author is amazing. Because the author says that this, that he says that that those who don't believe in God or don't talk about God, yet when they're in a situation, when they run away from the police, jump the fence, hide in the bush, or hide up a tree, they start praying to God, saying, please, God, do not let me get caught. I'd be a better person. I'd be a better man. I'd be a better son to my mother. I'd be a better father to my children. And I was like, wait a minute, that sounds like me and my homies. (laughs) We've done that so many times. I remember at a barbecue, one of the friends rode up, you know, jumped out the car real fast, said, hey, guess what, man? I broke into somebody's house. The police came, I jumped the fence, I hide up a tree, and I started praying to God, please God, do not let me get caught, I'll be a better person. Now, wow, that, man. And then that's when the author, you know, says that, that Jesus appeared to one of his disciples who doubted his resurrection, and it was doubting Thomas. And mm-hmm. Jesus said to him that because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and you have believed. Then I said to myself, wait a minute, that's all I need to do to be blessed? You know, like, just believe? I don't need, like, give money or pay soups you know yeah. soup is the currency in, in jail you know so okay I'm like, wait a minute okay you know what uh, all right I, I roll with that because that time i was going through a depression i was going oh, through a heavy, heavy depression i i lost the, the depression was so bad i lost 50 pounds in three months 50, 50 pounds. pounds yes I, I i came in i was incarcerated at 239 pounds yes and then i was like 185 you know in three months i, I didn't eat uh the food was foreign to me I, I never knew what being oatmeal. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> I was eggs, drink milk, and I'm, I, I didn't eat, and working out, and just, you know, stressing, yeah. Well, I mean, okay, complete transformation then. Not only your intellectual capacity, your physical attitude, your emotional, your spiritual. You're right, a complete transformation. Yes. So what was it? What was the um, incident that led up to your incarceration? So growing up, you know, um, I, I became popular within the gang community you know just you know being active in, a, in all the illegal activity and then all and i started becoming a promoter you know in the illegal activity and the gang activity so um, I, I rise quickly you know within our circle in my young adult time so after 18 i, I even stuck in school graduated high school um i signed up for college i started living a double lifestyle you know i was going to college hmm. doing my social i actually have an associate degree in liberal arts Really? University, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I was living a double lifestyle. So I was going to college at the same time. And uh, so in my young adult adulthood, I was living on college campus, even with my daughter too. I was a single father. And so I was living on college campus and I would, you know, have parties. I just call it kickback, but then many people call it, uh, you know, a party, you know, and then the, you know, the homies would come kick it and just, you know, we just have a party. And this is in Stockton. So I would go back and forth from Stockton to Modesto to my parents' house, you know, and just spend the night at my parents' house. Mm-hmm. So I remember one time I uh, was at my parents' house and some of the homie was kicking it. And, and there was like a couple of the youngsters, you know, some of the newer members. And they were talking about how they were getting bullied at high school. And they were, when they told me who they were bullied by, I said, wait a minute, I know their older homies. I know the other gang member. So I said, you know what, I'll, I'll take care of it. You know, we'll, we'll deal with this. And then I discovered where they were hanging out at that day. So my intention was to go over there and to talk to them, you know, like to, to like deal with it. But, you know, I, I made the, the, the stupid decision to take my firearm with me. Mm. Yeah, so and, and this, we went with like, you know, me and my family, like my girlfriend at the time, you know, went to, I gave her my gun to hold on to it because because I told myself, okay, I know who's over there. I'm not gonna use it, so I might as well let my girlfriend hold it. So I gave. So when we arrived over there, I gave the gun to my girlfriend to hold on to it. So right when we uh, walk up to the to the house, all of a sudden the argument broke out right away. You know, they, to them they see trouble. They seen us arrive uninvited, mm-hmm. and so right away there was an argument broke out. And then when when I seen like their aggressive approach to me, immediately my pride kick in. You know, and I said to my myself, you know, like, like who are who are these fools? You know, not giving me the proper respect. Mm. 
Yeah, so so when that happened, you know, I started getting into a verbal argument with them. If you guys want to, you know, get into a physical confrontation, let's do this. So which which took place? We got into a physical confrontation. After the physical confrontation happened, um, I grabbed the gun from my girlfriend, and you know, and I started using the firearm. You know, and and initially, and I'm not trying to uh, to um, um, diminish, you know, like what I did, or you know, or or, or to um, I take full responsibility, you know, everything mm -hmm. I. You know, I've done and take, you know, um, held myself, you know, fully accountable. But, you know, I grabbed the firearm and I, I wanted to put some bullet holes, you know, in the vehicles and it was parked in the front yard. So while I was firing the gun, an innocent bystander in the back got hit. Mm. And I didn't know, I did not find out till I was already arrested. You know, I, oh. I didn't find out till like three months later. And then come to find out the person that was shot you know, was a 39 year old mother. Oh, yeah. So, that, in fact, that was the aha moment for me because when yeah. I was told about it, I was devastated. I, I, I was, man, I felt sick inside to the core because, because yeah, because that could have been my aunt. That could have been my mother. I, yeah. I could have, you know, like shot my own family member. Yeah. I felt sick to the core inside, you know, and, and, and because I know them, I didn't want nobody hurt. But because that happened, you know, uh, yeah, that's when I started seeing the lies, you know, that, mm. that you know, that gang lifestyle, you know, like, hold on to that, the lies that I was living. Mm -hmm. I'm like, hold on, yeah, no, I, I, you know, this is not, not the way, you know. Mm, wow. So it, it sounds like it's like you walked into a wall. It, the realization, you, it just hit you. And that's when you made the decision like that, well, obviously, you I don't know. I guess you can still be in the gang in prison because I've heard more stories about that too, that gang life is rampant in the prison system. Oh, yeah. So were you, did you still choose to be a part of that or did you definitely separate yourself from that? Okay. So yeah. So the, the transition was slow going. However, though, that um, I started to express my change and the way that I started expressing my change was verbally. I would share that, you know, about like the, the, lies that we are living the corrupt lifestyle because because I, I call this okay what i call this is that when, when new gang members arrive or you know like new uh, inmates prisoners arrive uh i start hearing i call it gang gossip hey where mm. you from oh i'm from i'm from long beach oh i'm from san diego this and that and oh, i'm from this gang that gang oh yeah oh yeah this gang is still beefing with that gang still shooting here this you know and 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 then so i call it gang gossip right and i start hearing the, the same story over and over from you know the, the same you know people that's coming in and this is what i realized the same people that's being harmed is the people that's in our own community mm. yeah, it, it's always like asians on asian mm -hmm. and, with, and with the blacks it's blacks on black hispanic on hispanic mm -hmm. is a low percentage that i come across where i hear like you know it's like a, a harm or violence towards another race it's always against another gang member of of their own like ethnicity that's devastating. That's just awful. That's an interesting um, association that you were able to make about that. This season is brought to you by Defy Ventures. They are a national nonprofit with a beautiful vision of cutting recidivism in half by leveraging entrepreneurship to increase economic opportunity and to transform lives. Defy's programs are helping currently and formerly incarcerated people across this country defy the odds by providing pathways that lead to employment, entrepreneurship, and a successful re-entry. Please visit Defy's website at defyventures.org and sign up for their mailing list to stay in the loop. Links to Defy's website and social media can be found in the show notes. How long was, were you sentenced for? Yeah, so this was where, um, well, I, of course, I blame myself because I'm, I'm, the district attorney had offered me, so I'm fighting, you know, like two, two three years in. They had offered me up to 12 years with two strikes. No, and, and then I, at that time, I was so prideful in myself, you know, in my self-confidence. Mm. Like, I was telling my attorney, like, let's fight it. They, you know, they, they have nothing on my case. 
you know, and, and that time I didn't want to take responsibility for it. You know, I didn't mm -hmm. want to hold myself accountable and mm. throwing the blame game. You know, I, I was being, you know, so immature to like, like, well, nobody would have got hurt if they gave me the respect, you know, the proper. Yeah. 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 So, so I, I told my attorney like, like, no, forget the deal. Forget the 12 years with two strikes. Let's go to trial. So I went to trial. I lost that trial and was uh, found guilty of shooting into a dwelling habit with the enhancement of causing a great bodily injury on an innocent bystander. That gave me a 25 to life sentence. Plus another 15 to life with another similar enhancement where the wording is just like in reverse order, you know, like, like uh, shooting into a dwelling habit for a benefit of the gang, causing a great bodily injury, you know, so. Yeah, oh so I, no. So I was sentenced to 25 to life plus 15 to life, making it a combined total of 40 years to life. What did you think what happened to you mentally or emotionally when you heard that sentence uh my, my, my heart dropped when i heard it initially and then um because i know it was my own uh, doing to receive the life sense i uh, that's when I, I told myself like you know and again at that time i was, I was like corrupt you know like especially you know in the head where i told myself you know it's all right that i'll just party in prison for life you know really yeah that's what i told myself and, and in fact i was going to take the path were continue to continue my corrupt lifestyle to continue promoting the gang in prison and then i was even you know i even had the you know i was thinking about making the decision to get tattoos on my face like representing the gang yeah really? I, I was gonna go all out but uh, again though like, like i said you know i uh, i went through a depression stage and then you know after the, the spiritual awakening happened and then i started seeing the, the lies that took place and then started seeing the, the harm that i did especially, you know, to, to, you know, uh, Lynn Kent, you know, the person I shot, I was devastated, you know, and, mm. and all that just reminded me like, this is not the lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So, so because of that, I wanted to make sure that the next generation doesn't continue on that path. Initially, when I was sentenced, that was the train of thought. However, though, when, when, you know, like I started, you know, like days go on, you know, in prison, but then, all these aha moments started, you know, popping in. It's like, it's like, wait a minute, now I can't continue living this lie. Look, look what we're in. Yeah. Yeah, and this lifestyle, there's only two results to this lifestyle. You know, it's either in prison or death. Yeah. Right? Being dead. So I was like, no, nah. and I definitely don't want the next generation to continue on that path. Do you so, feel like prison saved you from an early death? Yes. Oh, uh, it saved me from an early death. Saved me from actually like taking the life of other human beings because um, I was on that path when I, I was out there and heavily involved in gang activity. So, you know, I, I thank God, you know, for, you know, my time in prison. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so, and everything just, it just, it just became out beautiful because when I started to, um, wanting to give back, you know, and especially give back to the next generation, I started serving, you know, in prison by just uh, getting more involved in church ministry. And that was new to me. I've never been to church before. So um, yeah. I'm like, okay, you know what? I, I'm just, you know, like just going to trust God and just started attending church, started participating in the different, you know, rehabilitative programs, all the workshops, the AANA and then the five ventures. You know, there were so many where, um, okay, there's a saying that became my, my model for living. You know, it is that. A smart person learns from his or her own mistakes. A wise person learns from the mistakes of others. Mm, now I live to be beautiful. wise and encourage others to do the same. So because of that, like everything I learned from these different programs, I sign up to like be a, a peer facilitator or to co-facilitate the next class. And and they actually like will hire me. Like even though to me I'm new to it, you know, like like I'm uh it, all that was you know, like living that uh making amends, you know, start giving back. Yeah. That, that's a new lifestyle for me because I grew up, you know, take, take, take. Not yeah. Good. Yeah. So this was all new to me, but then I, there was so much reward in like helping people, you know, like, like see that, that, that lies, that, that corrupt lifestyle that we were living and help them transition, you know, to like living a lifestyle that have real value, that value human beings as human beings. It sounds to me like your newfound understanding and enlightenment gave you that excitement that propelled you into giving back, which really 
sounds like who you were at the other end of the spectrum, like you said, you were trying to get people to join the gang. Well, now you're just doing that on the other side. You're trying to get them to change their mindsets in a positive way, just like you learned and you're so excited about it. You can't help but share it. Is that what it's like? Yes, that's amazing insight uh, because that's exactly what it is. Before I see it like I was advancing the kingdom of darkness. Now I'm advancing the kingdom of light. Want to help you know others to yeah make that transition you know from from that old lifestyle to something new that's worth living. There are many many people from old and to to the young where they're willing to die for their gain. You know okay how about willing to live for your family? Mm-hmm. You know, how about willing to live for those who love you like your mother or your grandmother? Mm-hmm. Okay yes. You sound like you are full of passion. What line of work are you in now? Well, right now, I, I am in the reentry field. You know, I am in a, a, a okay, reentry field, community organizing, and just um, helping people, all uh, re- returning citizens, those who's coming out from prison, uh-huh. to be able to have the support. Because th- that's very important. If, if men and women coming out from prison, if they're not entering into a supportive environment, it can get very discouraging. Mm-hmm. Then when things get discouraging, what happens is that we start to isolate ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I definitely don't want that to, you know, happen with them. And I want to show them that, no, nah, they're supported and I'm here, I'm here with you. you no, know, I'm here to, you know, help you along and carry you along. Whatever you need help with, we're here. So, yeah, so I'm like heavily involved in the reentry field. I work with a few nonprofit organizations. Mm-hmm. I even started um, uh, our own too with my colleagues. We're awesome. in the reentry field. So, yeah, I'm excited. There's so many things I'm doing. I'm actually heavily involved in the church and also in the, the the community organize, uh, organizing in Indian detention, immigration detention, because like I uh, uh, haven't shared that part yet, but you know, like currently I have a deportation hold you know, to get back, to get deported to Cambodia. And that's like, for me, I call it double punishment, triple punishment. Oh, wow. But yes. They're going to try to deport you? Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, there's so much to share about my life. Because, um, because yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Tell me more. <laughs> okay. So like, for example, right, we know... Okay, we know that I was serving 40 years to life. So I would have been 65 years old by the time I have a chance to get out, right? So, and this is the amazing part. And to me, this is a gift from God because, uh, so I've been giving back to the community, starting with the prison community, you know, uh, like about eight, eight years ago, 10 years ago or so, you know, just continuing to give back, serving, you know, like facilitating, you know, different programs mm-hmm. and uh, helping, you know, the next generation. And then even, you know, those who are older in the game. And then uh, 2019, a new law came out that sent me back for resentencing. Yeah. So here's the amazing part. I didn't do nothing. I didn't file no paper. Everybody keep asking me, like, City, how did you go back for resentencing? I didn't know what you did. I didn't do nothing. You know, God has my win. I didn't file no paperwork. Wow. I was just told by the correctional officer that, hey, you got to transpack your bag. You're going back to the county. And I didn't know what for. I was scared. I was like, oh, is, is it a new case? Did, what, what happened? Did, did somebody, you know, bring my name up on a new crime that I'm not involved with? So I, I was terrified, actually. I was like, oh, man, what is this? You know, what's going on here? You know, and however, when I got back, seen the attorney on court date, then the attorney was like, yeah, so I have your file here. We're going to postpone it because, you know, that, that I told her, excuse me, sorry, ma'am, but um, I don't even know why I'm back here. She's like, oh, you don't know why? So she showed me the paperwork, showed, like, how it was recommended by the secretary, of you know a CDCR to go back for resentencing, and the resentencing is to get six years off my sentencing. So the forty years to life will remain. The six years is to get the gun enhancement off the gun charge, the assault. Because <laughs> I guess that's double jeopardy. But this, this is the amazing part. The sentencing judge is the same trial judge that sends me the two life sentence, the forty years to life. No. Yes, and so and. He was so impressed by my transformation, and part of the new law is that, that he can take into uh, consideration post-conviction factors, meaning like anything that I've done in prison, all the positive program, he could take that into consideration and sentence me to a lower sentence. So the sentencing judge is the same trial judge that sends me the two life sentence, the 40 years to life, and he was so impressed by my transformation and so, so, so like, like joyful that he's seen this, you know, that, and he's able to reduce my sentence. He took off 25 to life. No way. Yes, left 15 to life. <sighs> I've been down 15 years. No yes. way. Yes. You already did your 15 years. Yes, yeah. So I did my 15 years. 
He left the 15 years to life. I went back to prison. So now I have been signed because of that, because of the, the sentencing change. So now I'm assigned to see the parole board hearing immediately. And that would be six months. So six months later, when after I got back to prison with the new sentencing, uh, six months later, seen the parole board. The parole board seen the change in me. They were impressed by my transformation. They seen that that I have, you know, like remorse and started making amends and started giving back. You know, like I started starting with the prison community where, where they see that I was no longer a danger or threat, you know, to society and that they found me suitable. And so now, you know, now here I am, you know, and, 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 and that was the thing because on the day of my, it was so, it was, I was on cloud nine. I can't day. imagine. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, so for 40 years to life to 15 years, so from being 65 years old to now being out at 39. Right now I'm 40 years old. Uh-huh. Yeah, so 40 years old compared to being 65 years old. <sighs> yes. And then that's when like on the day of my release, that's when I when ice took took my hope away, you know? Like no. on the day of my release, they separated me. They put me in a separate tank from others who were being released. And then that, that's when I knew like, oh okay, something's up. Something is wrong here. And then like two hours later, I seen two ice agents came. And they picked me up and they told me they're here to detain me. And yeah, and then that, that, that same day, they took me to a, the ICE detention center, uh, Mesa Verde in Bakersfield. And that's where I was hot. And this was during the pandemic too. So it was terrifying. I, in my head, I was like, oh no, don't tell me that I'm going to be released just to, you know, catch COVID in the detention center and then missing my family. Oh my goodness. Was, you went from cloud nine all the way back to the bottom again. Yes, yeah, yeah. It was like, like it, it was, it was heartbroken. And how, however, though, you know, I didn't lose my faith. I, I, I knew that that there was a reason and purpose behind everything. So I was like, it's all right, you know. Continue to stay encouraged and just continue to, you know, push forward, and and encourage the family because, because, I mean, I mean, imagine how they felt. I know? can't. You know, like my mother. You know, my mother. Oh, I'm about to see my son. You know, I thought I was gonna lose him for life, and then all of a sudden I'm gonna see my son, and then that happened. It's like, oh, wow, what, what just happened here? How and long I, did they detain you? So they detained me for um, almost oh, uh, like two weeks. Because of the pandemic, ACLU had filed a lawsuit, and they won the lawsuit. So through an uh, ACLU team and uh, my attorney that time, my bond attorney that, that worked personally for my case with the ACLU, Kelly Wells, shout out to her. Okay. Um, so, yeah, they, uh, yeah, they got me out on bond. So I was out on an ankle monitor where they were able to monitor me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I was there for two weeks, two terrifying weeks, and then uh, yeah, went on bond and see my family, and it was just after that, it was just oh beautiful. But the case is still pending. Yes, unfortunately, and that was the thing that that because you know that the pandemic was you know like like it was it was just getting worse and chaotic. Where mm-hmm. I decide on my first first court date, I decided to sign for an order of removal to get deported because that's one of the ways to. Um, leave the detention center quicker. Yeah, so I didn't know any better, you know. I, oh. it, it, yeah, so, so to me, I just want to get out of there. Yeah. But after I signed that, that's when, you know, uh, um, ACLU and their team members started calling detainees to work with them to get them out. Uh-huh. So, uh, Kelly Wells, you know, uh, contacted me like two days after that. So when she heard that I signed the order of removal, she, she was definitely like, no city, why did you do that? Yeah, because so now I, I, I am technically up for deportation. However, uh, because of the pandemic out there in Cambodia is still, you know, prevailing, um, they're not taking anybody right now. So there's no movement, no transfer. That makes no sense to me. First of all, thank you, ACLU. Oh, my gosh. How many people have they saved, right? Um, But second of all, that makes no sense to me that they would want to deport somebody to a country he's never known. Like, why can't you be a dreamer? I don't understand that. Why don't you qualify for dreamer status? I don't know either that, you know, like why I don't qualify, but one of the the reasons I did find out was that, that because I committed a crime that kind of like, like I am, um, I kind of give up my rights in being a legal resident. Mm. So, and then now, now and, and the other thing too, because my crime is a violent felony, that kind of disqualified me from having many attorneys, you know, to work my case, you know, oh. receiving grants to work for, you know, people in this situation. Yeah, so, so, and I, I call it, many call it double punishment. I call it triple punishment because, you know, like, uh, the reason why I call it triple punishment is because, you know, like, I, I did my time, you know, I paid my debt to society. And then, then and I call it the expert, the board, 
a parole hearing, you know, uh, they see that I'm no longer a danger to society. You know, in fact, they see that, that I will be a productive member in the community, in society. Mm -hmm. so they, you know, they release me. So all of a sudden, upon my release, they detain me. You know, that's the first punishment, you know. I mean, that's the, the second punishment. And then the third punishment is exile. Exile from the yeah. old home? No. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm a, never been to Cambodia. Know nothing about Cambodia. Uh, so the only home I know. So everything's just pending. You're just kind of in limbo right now. Yes, I have many uh, organizers and attorneys trying to assist me in my case, trying to find someone that, that's able to take on my case, that, that does mm -hmm. you know, have to, because the problem is that those who do do pro bono work, the plate is full. So they're unable to take my case on. Then there are certain organizations that is able to take me on, but however, though, I'm disqualified because, you know, my- uh, Oh, City, I'm so sorry. That's, but- it hasn't changed your optimism. I mean, look at you. You're still out there giving and sharing and uplifting and encouraging everyone around you. Wow, that's incredible. I'm super impressed. Uh, well, I wanna ask um, a question about how you came to learn about Defy Ventures and what its impact in your life was. Oh, wow, I love Defy Ventures. I'm still heavily involved and connected with them right now because. Um, they not only had changed my life, but many of my colleagues' life, you know. Uh, so the way I came across them was that I seen this sign, you know, like entrepreneur in training, you know, uh, uh, free free course and all these amazing courses that's listed, you know, from like learning, you know, uh, about your uh, character development to resume building, being employment ready, and to starting your own business. I remember when I seen that sign, I told myself like, no, uh, it is a gimmick and I, I don't trust it. You know, they're going to ask for our information. They're going to ask for our security, mm -hmm. security number and they use it and then, you know, like commit a, you know, scam or fraud. So I like, know I don't trust it. So, um, so I didn't sign up for it. Right. And then I, and, and I, and this, this is how everything, and I, I thank God for this. There's, I have a friend that like to sign me up for these different programs. <laughs> so, and, and one thing about me is that, that, that when, uh, when somebody, um, when, when I give them my word, then I'm committed. So now we're in a committed relationship, you know, like, okay, we're committed now, you know? Yeah. So I remember like, like there was a few programs that my name was some, you know, a friend of mine signed me up for, right? And then the facilitator, hey, city, I didn't see you in class tonight. You know, uh, what happened? Like, in class? What, what class? Yeah, you signed up. And they would show, like, somebody signed my name. Oh, man. So now I'm like, okay, you know what? Uh, I'll attend now, you know, and then I, I, I take it as a little, like, like, like uh, there's a reason why, you know, like, I should be in the class. I always learn too, so so I, I can't you know um, I take nothing away like negative about it. You know, it's, I always learn. So yeah, that happened with the five venture where a friend signed me up. So now I'm like, okay, you know what? I, I I'm gonna give it a go. Now my name's you know on 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 the line. So um I attended and I, I loved it. Uh, you know um because there was so okay. One of the thing about the five venture is about transforming our hustle. You know, like our illegal hustle, the the illegal way that we had a the skills, the talents that we use to do the illegal activity, you know, in, in making money the illegal way. Now is using the same skill and talent and doing it in a legal way. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, wait a minute. It's almost like, like what we we're talking about right now. How like before I did everything to promote that negative lifestyle, you know, like advertising, marketing it. Now it's like, now I'm trying to get, you know, everyone to like, no, see, see, you know, the change and live this lifestyle that have value. Mm -hmm. So the five venture had done that for me in this field that I was unfamiliar with entrepreneurship, business, never thought about owning my own business. And again, though, so all this was happening while I was, you know, like with the mind frame that I'm going to be 60 years old when I get out. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So, so to me, it didn't matter because I had a purpose, you know, like I already had a purpose in prison and that was, you know, like to, to serve God and, you know, and just, and just, you know, like give back. I was always joyful. I was had, many people were surprised that I was a lifer, you know, because mm -hmm. the way I conducted myself, they thought I was going home in like three months. So when I was in the five ventures, I was learning so much and I wanted so many to like, like learn what I have, you know, been taught where, you know, I would sign up as a, a peer facilitator and then encourage others to, you know, join in and sign up, which they did. Yeah. So um, I started staying with the five ventures and I learned so much, you know, from like starting my own business to uh, being you know, uh, ready for a career, to and even like character development or leadership skills. That was very important. Communications 
and uh, and or self-limiting belief to a free, you know, um, self-freeing belief. So I was like, wow, you know, this is definitely um something that everyone needs to know about. Mm. I love that self-limiting belief. It is. It's a choice we make, but until somebody points it out, we don't realize that's what we're doing, do we? Yes. Yeah. In fact, one of the, the most um impactful stage, you know, of my life with the five venture was was learning to not avoid fear, like dealing with fear. Mm. Yeah. So instead of like uh like avoiding fear, but this is like learning to dance with fear. So oh, the, I like how you describe that, learning yeah. to dance with it. Wow. It's, it's actually, yeah, that I learned it from, you know, the, the, the founder of the five ventures, you know, Kat. So, and I have met her too, amazing woman. So what I learned, like, for example, right, like before I'm, I, I used to have, you know, fear of public speaking. Many people do. You wouldn't know that. Now I don't. Yeah. No, so you would not yeah. know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, now I don't. But before, it was all new to me, you know, like speaking in front of people. You know, and just uh, like like leading a classroom or all that was new to me. But now, you know, I, I learned that dance with fear. Well, okay, you know what? Uh, let's not avoid it. Let's, you know, work through it. You know, dance with it. You know, whatever nervousness I feel, take a deep breath and just, you know, go through with it and just, you know, learn how to navigate through it, and which I did, you know, and, and, and I look where, you know. Look where it leads. Yeah. Oh, that's a beautiful story. What do you think helped bring about your resilience besides your spiritual awakening yeah. in these classes with Defy? Was it the idea of entrepreneurship or was it the mentors that you met or was it the education that you were receiving? Definitely it's the people. Yeah, it, it, it's the people I come across. It's, it's the, the support network that, man, the, the support that I received from not only my colleagues, but from the mentors, from the staff. So that was very important because uh, they were, they, they make it into an encouraging environment mm -hmm. you know, that helped help foster that growth. Yeah, because like for me, right, I was new to it all, but then, you know, you have all these wonderful staff, all the mentors, you know, that's like very encouraging, very um, tactful, you know, too, you know, like in, in working with prisoners, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I have, you know, my, my colleagues, you know, it's, it's a, a wonderful support group you know and it's amazing because like, right now we're all still in touch you know all of us from uh i was in avenal state prison and that's where you know like uh, we would defy the first cohort down with many of us are still connected and we are still like like giving back to society in an amazing way I, I keep sharing with people that you know like we should do a documentary you know on you know us you know the, the, the guys yes. in avenal state prison with the warden you know miss in the with the five ventures you know, like many of us are still involved with the five ventures. Mm, that's and, incredible. What an impact. Yeah. So, yeah, it's the people for sure, because because of that, we feed off on each other. You know, they were encouraging and supportive to me and my growth. And likewise, you know, like I'm very supportive, you know, in their growth in the areas that, that they need, you know, to grow in. And so we feed off each other and just it just became beautiful. And just it continued upon my release out here into society in L.A. Upon my release, you know, one of my good friend, Major, Major Button, the vice president of Inglewood Wrapping Arms around the community, the nonprofit that I work with right now, too, mm -hmm. is that, you know, like, immediately, you know, like, he came and was very supportive right away. And he's just one of the few. Then, you know, we have Quan from the Five Ventures reach out to me right away. And I can, I can list, like, names where, like, they reach out to me immediately. And then at the same time, too, everybody was shocked that I'm released, you know, because, again, mm -hmm. all, think about this. Two years ago, literally over oh, three years now, because 2021, three years ago, my family and I and my friends, we accepted the fact that I was either going to die in prison or become 65 years old. Oh, I can't imagine coming to that realization, just that acceptance of that. Yes. So it's an exciting time. So, so now that I'm out, it's like there's a reason and purpose behind it, you know, and I want to continue on with what I did, you know, in prison that was to give back. And then now, you know, I'm giving back in a, in a wider scale, working with different, you know, organizations and, and, and companies where just, you know, like helping people out, you know, and make it that supportive, encouraging environment for people to grow. You know? And I'm not going to stop there, you know. And right now, I, I want to, you know, connect with, with even like, like people that's in the bigger field just to take giving back to society on a larger scale, like a higher level. Mm-hmm. I love that so much. You are, you are doing that. You are being the change you wish to see, to quote Gandhi. I love that so much. Is there anything you would like to share with the listeners and just the general public that 
would be good to know about the formerly incarcerated or gang life or the justice system? Is there anything that's on your heart that you really want people to understand and know? Yes, uh, for one, uh, I want to say that, that, that the people on the inside, you know, they have as much value as the people on the outside. Even though you know, they, they have a criminal background or they have you know, made a poor decision in the past where they are facing the consequences you know, of being incarcerated, however, that doesn't devalue them. And in, in fact, you know, it's, it's almost like they bring the same value to the people that's out in the free world. Yes. You know, so because yes. of that, you know, to me, uh, I want to say that, that it's very important to make it that, that supportive environment for them to also grow, grow together. Go together, yes. like just, you know, serving the people and valuing people as, you know, like whom they are, you know, and that's someone full of worth and value. And so, Why do you think we do that? Why do you think we devalue people inside? I believe that one of the reasons is because um, almost every single human being go through an issue where they start having their own core issues of facing insecurity you know, a low self-worth, low self-esteem, and hadn't dealt with it in a proper way where uh, it become, um, you could say, it become unhealthy, where now they start to devalue themselves in a way where it starts to reflect in their action and behaviors on others, you know, and, and it shouldn't be like that. And, and then, and then it's, it saddens me too where, where it doesn't help when there's certain groups or certain people that, that are biased and even mm -hmm. racist and that even exalt one group over another, and it shouldn't be like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, to me, uh, we're all one race, and that is the human race. So true. Those are beautiful closing words. That's just excellent encouragement. Well, I have some closing questions for you, and then our conversation is sadly over. I could just keep going and going. I love listening to you. It, I'm really enjoying this. We should start a podcast together now. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> What is your one tip to make the world a better place? Love. Love. And, you know, and yeah, the, the, the Bible say, you know, to love your neighbor as yourself, you know, and if you truly love someone, you actually will serve them regardless of their background, their ethnicity, you know, and whatever past, you know, they have come across. So love that have actions. I love how you said that you will serve them. If you love them, you will serve them regardless of their past. We all need to chew on that because I think we come up with lots of excuses as to why we shouldn't serve, but yeah. love doesn't do that. Love is blind to those things. It just keeps giving. Like you said, with actions, that's excellent advice. Excellent. Well, what are you the most thankful for right now? Uh, again, the people, yeah, the people in my life, you know, from family and friends, you know, like everyone whom I know by name, and that's so many, you know, in a thousand, because they just make make everything like, like they make like I'm on cloud nine, you know, like like on a daily because I'm free now. But yet the people in my life, you know, makes it you know like a little extra, like almost a cloud ten, like I could touch the stars, <laughs> you know, like people like you. Thank you, Court, for this. You know, setting up the space, you know, to share and to talk like this. This is what I'm talking about, you know, like. Yes, well, it's contagious. You've got me on cloud 10 with you too. <laughs> <laughs> well, finally, what is your favorite quote? My favorite quote is the one that I said earlier, you know, and that is that, that a smart person learns from his or her own mistakes. A wise person learns from the mistakes of others. Now I encourage everyone to be wise also. We could not end on a more perfect note. That's beautiful, City. Thank you so much. I wish you the most exciting, wonderful future, no matter what that looks like. You are going to make such a beautiful, positive influence in every person's life you touch and meet. I have no doubt whatsoever. Your good just shines through. Thank you, Corey. I appreciate that very much. Thank you for, you know, for everything that you are doing, Corey. This is amazing. City brought up a very interesting point about his decision to join the gang. Not only was it considered just the next step because everyone around him was doing it, but he wanted the dual benefits of belonging and protection. That need for acceptance and to impress silenced his initial desire to not participate in the illegal activities of the gang.
He was slowly desensitized to the impact of his crimes on others because the praise received from fellow gang members was worth way more than the values of his conscience. It wasn't until he was sent to prison that he woke up to the fact that all the gang activity was actually hurting his own community. It was typically rival gangs of the same ethnicities doing harm to one another. I'm intrigued by his insight in this, and I really want to follow up with research of my own. Why do we so often choose things that go against our own good? Why do we sabotage ourselves and our communities? I see this happen in the people we choose to vote for, in personal relationships, with our eating habits, and even in our choices in education. It is truly a sad phenomenon. But the promise of change and good comes with awakening. City no longer lets lies guide him. He woke up to the reality of his choices and the harmful effects they had, not only on himself, but his entire community. As messed up as our prison system is, here is another individual who is actually thankful he ended up in prison because he knows it saved his life and possibly the life of a future victim. This is the paradox of life, isn't it? Sometimes we think something is bad, but it turns out to be good for us and vice versa. There are a lot of people and organizations trying so hard to bring good out of an inherently bad system. For that, I am thankful. City said a phrase I had never heard before and attributed it to the founder of Defy. Learning to dance with fear. Oh, I just love that. I find that incredibly freeing and beautiful and relatable. You don't have to be imprisoned or formerly incarcerated to understand that analogy. We all have our own dance with fear, don't we? May we learn to hold the tension between fear and joy and learn to dance with our fear just as City has. Thank you for listening to Gramercy. Remember, There is no them, just us. See you down the road.